winter is coming. TV. You're goddamn right. Welcome to Talkin' TV, Stranger Things, Season 3, I'm Justin, there is no Will here, he is on vacation in the great state of Mississippi, question mark, not sure uh, what they're really known for besides that giant river, and maybe some racism, but uh, yeah, here I am discussing Stranger Things, the preview, the preparation for season three. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. And all I'm going to do today, Will and I wrote down our top 10 favorite characters for the previous two seasons. We combined them, and I'm going to talk about whoever we have on our lists. And then we're going to do some prop bets, because that sounds fun. Put some stakes on it. 11 prop bets, cute name, I know. And that's going to be it. Um, not really any predictions. Uh, there's going to be an event at the mall, according to the trailers. There are going to be monsters running around. Eleven's going to use her powers. There will be uh, relationships built, broken, you know, same all, same all. But it's in the Stranger Things universe, which I adore. Possibly in my top ten TV shows of all time. I was thinking top five at one point, but if I'm honest with myself, I mean, The Office, Seinfeld, uh, Arrested Development, The X-Files, so many other shows probably would outrank it, especially it's only the third season. If they go maybe five, it could jump higher, but right now, probably top ten. Um, I was born in the 80s, mid-80s, so the nostalgia value is not so high with me. I'm basically a 90s kid. So I don't relate a lot to these children um, besides the bike thing maybe, but I didn't drive my bike across town like these kids do. I drove it, you know, the backyard, side yard, made ramps. And one time I did do a, I made a ramp on the curb, pulled up on my BMX a little too much, watching some X games and I did a half of a backflip, landed directly on my own back, knocked the wind out of me, thought I was going to die, but I came to. Um, that was the most reckless I was, and another time I believe I 
took a, a, a sharp turn in the backyard. We had a deck. My handlebar hit the post of the deck, flipped me over the bike. That was dangerous. And I've definitely popped some tires doing some ramps and just landing on level surface, which is not a, a good idea when you're doing ramps. But that's my experience with BMX. I didn't go across town looking for my friends. So, yeah, that's all that. Uh, Stranger Things, uh, why I like it. Characters, pretty much. That's the basic uh, reason why. The amalgamation of the 80s. I love 80s music. I, I love the movies of the 80s. Um, and when you combine them all and make these characters so rich and vibrant that you want to stick around with them and you, you wish that they succeed. Um, I mean, it's pretty cut and dry, evil versus good. They don't have a lot of great characters, which I'm hoping they might change once the show matures. I mean, the premise was Steven Spielberg met Stephen King and they made a show. That was a premise. And for now, Steven Spielberg seems to outweigh the King. Um, everyone kind of has the, the plot armor that you can't die if you're in the main main cast. So I'm hoping as the show goes on, kind of like Harry Potter, that people will succumb to the evil because uh, a lot of chances for our heroes to perish. But plot um, armor helped them out a lot, especially Hopper. Hopper should have been dead, laying in the tunnels. Um, the Demigorgon killed you know, the person at the beginning of the show in the laboratory, just in the elevator, murdered him right off the bat, didn't transport him to another land. Uh, Barb didn't stand a chance, got stuck in a pool. Um, Bob, he gets murdered um, right there. Like, they don't get transported. Like, only the main characters have the chance to uh, get free. And that's pretty much it. I mean, season three looks like a lot of fun. They're going to have the mall as the... I guess the ending and beginning probably. I mean, malls were big deals in the 80s and 90s. I remember the Mall of Georgia when it was established. Like, it was the place to be. I was excited to go there, even though I'm not a mall rat. Don't like going to the mall, especially now. I despise going to the mall. Um, a lot of malls are failing just because of uh, online shopping, obviously. But back in the day, when you had to go somewhere to buy something tangible... And it was a major hangout place. The mall was the place to be. Everything in one spot. Movie theaters, clothing, food. You want it, it's there. So, um, this will be the main focal point of season three. So I'm excited. Looks like Steve Harrington has a job, like a Captain D's or something. So he's making his own way, even though his family's rich. I don't know what happened to his family or he had to actually get a job. But we will find out. And uh, without further ado, I'm just going to go into the characters because I don't want to make this super long. Like I said, William and I made separate lists, combine them up, and these are our top 10 favorite characters from the Stranger Things universe. Number 10, sliding in there. Should I do honorable mentions first or save them for last? Or do them at all? Um, you know what? Let's just go to the actual list. Screw the honorable mentions. They're not there for a reason. Number 10, Bob the Brain, Sean Astin, The Goonie, The Hobbit, The Rudy. Now he's just Bob. Bob the Brain, the founder of Hawkins AV Club. 
I I had him on my list pretty high. William didn't have it at all. That's why it hits number 10. I guess Will did not value the big brain on Bob. Um, he makes me laugh. He is he is the innocence of the show at this point. He's naive. He doesn't understand the gravity of what these this family is going through. I mean, Joyce warns him that this is a messed up family, so you know, good luck with you on this venture. But uh, he doesn't care. He's he's in love with his, I guess, the high school sweetheart that he can never get. I don't know the backstory to all these people in high school, but I'm assuming it was like the '60s. Since then, the kids are in the '80s now, so about 15. Yeah, that's about right. '60s, mid '60s, they were in high school, and apparently, you know, he was looked down upon. He was the nerd. Uh, I'm assuming he was bullied by jocks. It seems like Hopper was a jock, and Joyce might have been into Hopper, that kind of thing. So he thinks it's a huge deal to be dating Joyce Byers, which, I mean, after you get out of high school, who cares, really, right? But he still has that infatuation, um, the nostalgia for that time, where he wouldn't be able to get someone like her now that he's grown and out of that kind of element that he has a chance to be with her. So he's kind of still living the high school life in his mind, I guess the love life portion. And uh, he's working at Radio Shack. I don't know if he's a manager or uh, just a day-to-day employee. I don't know the titles of Radio Shacks. I'm assuming he's just associate manager. But Bob, he knows his cables, his coaxials, his VHSs, his CVHSs. He's the the ultimate technology guide, um, and he goes out a hero's death. I mean, he's there to help them. He decides to take the hero's route. He could cower and leave, but he does the right thing, gets them through the situation, and I think he has the most gruesome death of the whole show. I mean, he gets eaten alive for like five minutes, it seems, by the Demi dogs. And uh, if it weren't for that pesky mop that fell, his clumsiness, he might have been alive still. And also, it's kind of funny that what did him in was his inability to be athletic, where he couldn't run fast enough to get away from the demigods. So I don't know if they were trying to say something there. Um, Irony, you could say. Um, If he was faster and in better shape, he might have made it out of the situation. And he also forgot the gun. Come on, Bob. You don't forget the gun, man. Keep your eye on the prize, buddy. But yes, he didn't make it. And actually, that's like the one death that's like, oh, that hurts, man. It's like really the only death they've they've had so far that wasn't an, an evil person, though. So Or deserved it, deservingly so. He was the only innocent they've really shown get it. Besides Barb, you know, they have that justice for Barb thing. But she was kind of annoying. She was a stick in the mud. Bob, uh, he, he went out. A hero. That's all I can say. Barb went out moping around, and who's? I know it's Indiana. I think they had a heated pool, but good God, you can go stick your feet in the pool in whatever degree weather in like the middle of November. Not me, Barb. Not me. Next, number nine, Will Bynum. Good God, how many times have we heard that kid's name yelled? I'm I'm pretty sure someone did a count. Uh, not me. Anyways, William, the plot device for the, for the whole catalyst of the show. He is the reason we're on this journey. We found these kids. Uh, we care about these kids. And in the second season, he is the conduit. He is the spy for the other side and our side. He's playing both teams. 
And yeah, I hope this season he doesn't have that role anymore. I hope he's just his own being. He's able to play with the kids and not be stuck in bed or stuck in the upside down. I mean, the only reason he made it apparently when he got transferred to the upside down is his ability to hide. Like he's a good hide and seeker. Good for you. Um, I guess he didn't need nourishment, didn't need water, didn't need food for at least a week. It felt like longer, but they say it's only been a week. Um, so yeah, he should have been dead. I don't know how the upside down works. If nutrients are just flowing through the sky, a lot of particles in that uh, part of the land. But yeah, he should be dead just in basic anatomy and uh, biology, really, that you, know, you couldn't survive that long, really. He's just a child. Uh, he would have weared away. Um, all the running he's doing and hiding and you know, communicating, uh, he would be dead. But this is Stranger Things, and he makes it. And the second season, they gave him a little more to do. Um, my favorite scene is when he's freaking out when they're burning the tunnels up when they rescue a hopper in them and his like freak out on the grass out there. It looks legit. It looks pretty good. But as a character, he's just a plot device and he makes it in here just because he has to endure so much. I think, um, he's the only kid out of the group that's been through hell and back. And he does things that are, uh, a little unorthodox. Like I don't totally understand the motivations of the creature on the other side, like, he's allowing William to communicate. Like, he doesn't understand what's going on, but then sometimes it does understand what's going on. It's very confusing and um, a little convoluted and a little, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief on this virus that enters William. Um, I don't totally get it. That's like one problem with Stranger Things is the creature's motivations and how they act once upon the human interaction like they kill some and sometimes they don't kill them but whatever um the kind of the funny thing is when bob confronts will about you know the dream bob had as a child and told the the whatever i forgot what it was a clown or something to go away that when will stands up to the mind flayer and just like hey you're not gonna bully me anymore you're not gonna you're not gonna take my soul from me that that's the reason the mind flayer enters William's body and the reason Bob has to rescue everyone. But in the same thing, you can think, well, it's a shadow virus monster. It was going to get William no matter what, just depending on when and where. And at that point, you know, he was trying to be the braver uh, <laughs> person and tell this giant monster that you can't enter me when he did anyway. It's just kind of funny, um, but I'm pretty sure he would have been taken no matter what. Anyways, number eight, his bro, Joshua, the outcast, the boy that looks like a zombie, if you want to say that. He looks like zombie boy. Could do a whole run on him. Uh, he's a photographer, loves loves to do candid uh, voyeurism-esque things. He keeps to himself. One thing I'm confused about, Jonathan, is that you never established that he goes to high school till season two. So I was confused when all of a sudden he came out of class with Nancy and he's like, oh yeah, we're doing tests now. Like, weren't you out of high school? Did you drop out? I don't understand. Cause then like they're talking about NYU, but it's like, how are you going to NYU if you don't go to high school or did you graduate already? You're living for the family and good for him. I don't know what his deal is, but he's in school now. Um, he is the surrogate father basically since his dad's a piece of shit and left him 
and doesn't want contact with them unless it's about money, getting you know life insurance policies and all that kind of jazz. So he has to take up the mantle as a man of the house, so that's noble of him. He pushes everything aside for his family loyalty. And uh, yeah, I mean, his arcs are decent. I mean, the first one is he needs to make money to make ends meet. Brother goes missing. He does whatever he can to find him. The second one where you see the jump is where he's trying to find justice for Barb through Nancy. And he gets that relationship that he, I think he wanted in season one, but Steve was still there and Steve made a turn. So he wasn't able to get in right there. But in season two, he found his way. And now he has a relationship with Nancy and he's doing something for her because she's been pining for Barb's justice, which no one really gave a shit about. And when he comes back, he brings back his loyalty once he finds out that everyone's in trouble again, even though he's not communicating with them. Like, please call your family where you're, where you're going to say something. Be in contact. Your mother just went through a damn nervous breakdown because of her son, her younger son. And now you're just going to leave without saying a word. Kind of strange, knowing her her psychic, or not psychic, her psyche at this moment. Um, yeah, Joshua, good guy. Means well. Um he hasn't really made any poor choices, so, um, yeah, good guy. Seven. Surprising, actually. We're going to go seven here. Billy. Billy's barely been in the show. He's maybe, maybe 10, 15 minutes of screen time, but he made an impact. He is the human antagonist. Um, he's the only human besides Papa, which is not in season two, to give our characters any trouble, and Papa wasn't really interested in in harming these kids. He, there's kind of a nuisance in his way. And, and Billy is front and center. Steve Harrington, Lucas St. Clair. Is Billy racist? I don't know. They leave it ambiguous. They don't really dive into that. But I want to say he's got some issue with his uh, stepsister liking a black guy. And then you find out, you know, his father's abusive. Um, his stepmom is definitely meek and passive and he kind of treats her with disrespect but his father won't have any of that so he takes out his anger for his father on his stepsister it's a vicious cycle of abuse and that's the cool part about that family not a cool part but interesting that they are exploring that and how abuse works in a household um, I hope they do it some more I mean, the one thing about Stranger Things is that, I mean, it's made for kids. It's PG-13, TV-14. So the issues they do grapple aren't, they're mostly surface level. So if they go a little harder, I think that'll be interesting. I mean, Billy comes there and he wants to take over the high school. He tries to dethrone Steve Harrington, and you could say he did. Um, he beats the shit out of Steve Harrington. I mean, he... I really think Steve should have died in that scene. He wails on him for a good two minutes, and the kids just watch, which is strange, until Max M99s him and uh, incapacitates her brother. Um, but yes, uh, who am I talking about? Billy. I'm hoping season three they give him a little more depth. I hope they venture into the cycle of abuse and why he's doing these things. They showed a little... Um, sympathy, they gave you a little sympathy, maybe some empathy for the character once you realize that his dad's abusing him. So I'm hoping they explore that more. I'm assuming he's a senior this year because Nancy's a senior, so 
Steve's still in high school, so he should be out of high school this next year. And Nancy's a senior, so maybe he's out of school. He's doing something different. He's a lifeguard in season three, and he might be the Will Bynum of season three. They've hinted at that with the rats, and he's following something. So he might be even worse, but I hope they don't make him just a bad for bad's sake. I hope he's more of a great character. I hope he does things that will surprise us out of the out of character maybe and give him like some you know 360 degrees of character instead of just the one side of oh, I'm the bad guy for this show and you're gonna hate me um, yeah six Mike 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 um, I think Mike's just on our list this high because he's in so much of it he's important he's the pseudo leader of the group the cool thing about this show is they don't really have a true leader because everyone kind of, they even say a democracy in the show, but he seems to be the leader. Um, but everyone makes their own decisions, so I like that. Mike finds love for the first time, and L he got feelings for a girl, and it shows how powerful love is. I mean, Huey Lewis can atone to that, which I'm probably here this season. Um Hopefully not as many times since I'm Back to the Future. Good God, the song's in it so many times. It's not even that good of a song. Anyways, Power of Love trumps the power of friendship usually. But loyalty has come to to uh, to a head um, with Lucas. Who else? Max. Like all these people that are intruding in his life. And the one weird thing about Will, especially in season... Not Will. Um, Mike in season two. Is that in the beginning they're telling us, or his family's telling us, that he's become kind of a nuisance in school. He's plagiarizing essays. He's graffitiing walls. Uh, he's just doing horrible things out of his character, um, acting out. Obviously, his, his, I'm getting to his parents' life, but um, they're not the greatest role models. But they don't explore that. That's it. They just say these things, and then it gets washed over. So I, I would have like wanted to see the kind of the arc for him to come back and kind of get into his brain of why he's doing all these things. When I mean, we know it's his loss of 11 and we know he's trying to communicate with her the whole time, but show us the, the, the deconstruction of his life besides just pining for L. Um, they just say it once and they kind of, that's it. Um, but yeah, I hope Mike, I mean, he's found 11 now so something's going to probably tear him apart. Apart. That's a weird way I said that. Uh, just to make confrontation, it's going to happen. Who knows? Her dealing with normal teenage life for the first time. I mean, she's been locked away in a laboratory for how many years? And then she's locked away in Hopper's cabin for about a year. So that's her first time besides the one episode where she goes out on her own that she'll be in a normal situation and how does she react? Does she find someone else that she might be involved with? I don't know. It'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, Mike is Mike. He's a good guy. Um, he's kind of a simple character. Not a lot of depth to him. Maybe this season will add some. And then number five, getting the top five, Lucas. The diversity for the show. The only diversity, unless you count the one redhead of Max. Um, Lucas... He's a badass. I love that he does his own thing. He believes in his own ways. He sees through people. He he can read people well, especially like Elle when he knows she's lying and no one else believes him. Uh, when he says he's going to do something, he goes and does it. Um, 
he's forgiving, he understands the laws of friendship, as they say. He's a little stubborn, but aren't we all? Um, he's trying to figure himself out. And once again, for him, love gets in the way of friendship and loyalties when he tells her, tells Maxine everything he wasn't supposed to. But yeah, Lucas is a good kid. Um, it's kind of funny when you break down all these family dynamics that Lucas might have the most normal. Because you have like Mike, who has a father who's like pretty much just seems like a moneymaker and he's absent the rest of the time. Like It seems like the mom takes care of everything else and he's just there to read the paper and make money and make babies. And then you have Dustin, who seems like he's an only child with his single mom. I don't know if his dad died or, you know, they got divorced. I have no idea. Then you have the buyers, which are a complete wreck. When you have a divorce, uh, you have a dad who does not want to be part of his, his son's relationship or have a relationship with them at all. Then you have um, Maxine, who has the dysfunctional family, but they're trying to make it work. You, know, you have a divorce and a divorce coming together to make a new family. But the siblings are at odds, so that's not, a, and it's abusive, obviously, a cycle of abuse is going on during that one. And then you have Eleven, who doesn't know her father, unless you want to call it Papa. I don't think that's her real father. But you have Eleven, who knows her mom. She knows what happened to her mom. You got the shock therapy, screwed up her brain completely. And then, you know, she's searching for who she is and where she belongs. She has no idea what her family life is supposed to be like besides, you know, hospital and that one random girl she hung out with, Callie. And then you have um, Lucas, who has a mom and a dad and a sister. I mean, he's at odds with his sister, but that's normal. And his family seems like they get along pretty well. So out of all these people, he has the most stable life. And I'm glad they gave that to the one black character. They didn't make their family like the the you know the dumpster fire like the buyers. So that was nice. And I'm assuming in Indiana they probably weren't a lot of you know racial diversity in these kind of suburb communities. But you know I've never been to Indiana, and I might never. I don't know. But yeah, love Lucas. Love the headband. Love his you know no nonsense personality i suppose the number four might seem a little low to some but 11 11 the girl with all the gifts um the girl with the one tattoo the girl that has the nosebleeds the very little hair um she doesn't mind murdering people i mean she has no no kind of remorse for that. She, I, I don't know what they did in the lab if they actually had her kill people or not. But she kills the agents like it was like eating an Eggo waffle. There, just, hey, I'm done. I'm a little exhausted, but I did it. Yeah, I mean, one note kind of at the same time. I mean, she doesn't know a lot. She's the fish out of water kind of character. You get the laughs with her not knowing everything. She's learning words for the first time. Um. She's finding her family here. She had the one episode, which I I liked. It was a little out of place because it took you out of everything and gave you the side story about all Eleven's backstory, pretty much, besides who her actual father is. Um, she finds her mother and realizes, you know, I have a sister. She finds her, and her sister is completely opposite of her. She's trying to assassinate everyone involved with their upbringing like murdering just the hospital you know uh what are they called uh, orderlies kind of thing 
yeah, were they right? No, but they were getting paid to do a job, so I don't know. It's a moral quandary there. Um, so yeah, she is. This that whole episode is showing that what Eleven could have been if she would have found Callie first, or found this other dysfunctional family that their morals were a little <laughs> on the other dark side of nature, you could say. And so I liked that, and she realized though how much how important Hopper, his upbringing, um, or her upbringing with him, how Mike has taught her so much, Lucas taught her so much, Dustin taught her so much of how to be a good person and what it really means to be a friend and what family actually is instead of just going out murdering people um, just because you can, because you have the power. doesn't mean you have to use the power. That's a, an old saying there. Um, so yeah, 11 cool moments. I mean, my favorite is probably the truck flip or the band flip it's pretty ba um i'm just hoping she gets to stay with the group see how things go when she becomes a normal teenager and see how um, her life changes i don't know um, what they have in store for her but there's definitely going to be some more nose bleeding and searching for people um yeah that's 11 number three jim hopper tragic backstory daughter dying of cancer hits cornerstone if you will if you've ever watched westworld we cover that as well go watch our uh, listen to our season one and two recaps and reviews and discussions um and you learn what a cornerstone is um yeah he has the one of the biggest arcs of the whole series especially season one when he goes from the schlubby alcoholic pill popper cigarette smoker every vice you can think of don't know if he plays lottery. Don't know if it was legal in Indiana at the time. But he would be doing it if he could. Um, sheriff of this town. I mean, obviously, um, he came from the big city, as they point out, um, before his daughter died. Then I guess he went out here to try to find himself and maybe cheaper to live on your own after you get divorced. I mean, that was the ultimate demise for him as a human. Um, totally breaking everything he believed in so he found solace and alcohol and cigarettes and um yeah he didn't take his job seriously i mean he mentions that the one of the only problems they have out here is uh you know stupid birds attacking people nothing really major happens in hawkins um when joyce is there trying to find her kid he's telling his secretary you know the mornings are about contemplation and coffee or contemplation and donuts one of those sayings he says and then he turns you know the whole arc for him is coming back to reality and realizing he can be a better person he can get through hit the grief of his child um, by saving others which is his job that's the, the whole point of his his position is to help others and the very end where um, he's pumping will trying so hard to get him to live and they flash him back and forth with his daughter dying yeah that's pretty heart-wrenching so yeah season two Definitely opens that up. You see him in a better light. He's doing the fatherly duties now. He's there for 11. He has another child all of a sudden that no one knows about, but he has to take care of her like she's his own. And he breaks. I mean, that's just normal. I, I, I've broken. Um, I mean, I have a five and three year old and they drive me crazy sometimes. I mean, they don't have powers, obviously. And if they did, that'd be ridiculously scary um that they could shut doors throw couches out me um turn the tv with their mind that'd be that'd be a, uh, some heavy lifting to have kids that could do those kinds of things so good on him for taking her in 
and teaching her every day, trying to keep her safe. And, you know, teenagers are going to teenage and she doesn't understand completely what's going on. And it's even harder for her because she doesn't know anything. Like she knows laboratory life. You know, she lived in like cylinder block rooms. He gave her some kind of a semblance of, uh, of freedom, even though it's in a, a cabin. Um, but she has TV, which she loves, of course. But yeah, Hopper, a good guy. Um, he means well, and I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna bite it though in season three. I think he has to die. I think they've gone to him too many times for help. So I think for storytelling, you take that person out to make the kids kind of fend for themselves, make Joyce fend for herself. Everyone relies on Hopper to save the day. So I want someone um, to take him out so the kids have to kind of grow. And that's a, a horrible way to grow, but it happens. Tragedy breeds the best in people sometimes. So I want to see that. Just saying. Uh, number two, my boy, Steve Harrington. Steve-O Harrington. Um, shocking. The, the most shocking thing is the first... I guess draft of Steve Harrington was going to be a royal douchebag rapist that wants to try and like rape Nancy. And then they met what I call John Ralphio Jr. And they decided they liked the kid. Let's make him a little less of an asshole. And then you get Steve Harrington, which his ultimate goal is to get into girls' pants, especially Nancy's. Um, but then he has a, he actually has an arc too. Not all these people had arcs, but he has an arc where he turns into you know, I mean, he goes from douchebag, just wants sex, to a person who actually cares and understands what it is to be a boyfriend, understands what it is to be a better person when he gives Jonathan a camera for Christmas, even though he broke his other one. Um, he's a rich boy. His parents aren't around. They're always gone, apparently. And, you know, he, does, he gets whatever he wants. Daddy buys him everything. So he's used to just getting things. And when Nancy comes along, she doesn't give him anything like everyone else does. So he has to play, you know, harder to get her. And he does some nasty things to her. And you hate him for a little bit. But then he redeems himself when he comes back and tries to help him defeat the Demigorgon. And in the second season, he's trying to better himself going to college and uh, trying to be more intelligent because he's not that smart compared to the rest of these kids. And him and Dustin joining up together is the thing you never know you wanted until it happened. Their relationship is my favorite in the whole, whole series. Um, their moments are always humorous and endearing, I'd say. They actually care about each other eventually. Very standby-me-ish, especially on the train tracks when they're you know trading back stories and Steve gives him his secrets about his hair, the Farrah Fawcett stuff. Like, you can't get that anywhere else. That's why I love this show. Um, those little moments are better than anything, like the, the, the creatures trying to attack or the action. Just the little moments between, you know, two fully uh, fleshed-out characters that you can understand or relate to. And Steve, like, he, he tries to be a badass sometimes, and sometimes you lose. Sometimes you get your ass kicked. I mean, he got beat up by Billy really well. Like I said, he should have died, I think, because he got hit so many times. He was definitely concussed. But, yeah, he stood up for these kids. He stood up for what he believed in, and sometimes you don't win, which you love. I mean, it's a great Rocky story. You, you, you give it your all, and sometimes you're not going to come on top. So that's Steve Harrington also giving in to um, – uh, Jonathan and his relationship with Nancy, he gives up that. He understands why. He understands that they weren't meant to be. He understands all that and just gives in. 
and lets uh, life move on and he finds you know these kids that he can help them out and he does whatever he can to be just a, a good guy and i'm happy that in the second season he drops his friends um freckles and redhead uh, blow pop girl they suck so i'm glad to see him and in season three he looks like he has to get a job for some reason so that's intriguing he's at the mall um so i don't know what happened to his family where he has to get a job just curious about that trying to make his own way and then number one if you haven't guessed by now it's toothless it's Duth dustin i guess good job saying dustin dummy um just take one letter you got my name uh dustin i relate to him the most he's just, besides the intelligent part he's way smarter than i am uh kind of the outcast of the outcast um he doesn't quite fit in he doesn't know what to do when it comes to women especially he he admires steve because he is popular he tries to mimic you know his hair and that doesn't work he thinks that things that are cool aren't so cool um yeah he's just a good kid he's the glue that holds all this group together he is there to see logic he's very logical and not just an emotionally driven person except when it came to dart dart is where he found his love um, he found his purpose in saving this little creature that he thought was his own and he thought it would impress girls he could be like you know popular be famous that he found a new species and we all know how that turned out you know ate his own cat had a lie to his mother lied to his friends he did some pretty horrible things in the name of dart but that was a cute little story very gremlins very et ish that he was you know hiding this thing from everyone else and trying to and trying to grow it and raise it as his own and then it turned on him but never really did it knew who he was the one with the yellow butt the only one of course that he gets is the one that's different than every other demi dog yeah, Dustin, good kid all the way around. Gets bullied, no teeth. For, uh, he has the baby teeth. Gets made fun for that. He gets made fun of the whole time. He is the loser of the losers. But you love him. He's always bringing the humor. He's bringing the logic. He's making everything on the sunny side. He sees through his friends' bullshit and helps him out to understand that you know we all need each other. And, yeah, he's always trying to do the right thing, too. They're all a bunch of good people. And you know things get in the way, and you sometimes have to have some white lies, or you you embellish or hide things just to save face or uh, save a, a rare rare species of otherworldly creatures. Um, yeah, love Dustin, and I hope that he gets someone in season three. He gets a girl. That's all he really wants uh, is another baby. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, that's our top ten. Um, Will and I's lists were pretty close besides Bob. I think the bottom of our lists were way more different than what we have, but uh, our top three or four were pretty much the same. So that was interesting. And now we're just going to do the prop bets. Real fun. I'm trying to get this under 45 minutes. I'm doing quite well right now. So prop bets, just uh, fun. We got 11 prop bets, and uh, we'll see how they go. We plan on having the whole season done by this weekend and we're going to do one giant episode our collaboration our binge and then our purge onto the the waves of uh the podcasting form and anyways prop bets how many number one how many nosebleeds will Levin have william put one i don't know if william watched the trailer but i believe she has two in the trailer so 
I'm gonna say eight. William says one, I say eight. Number two, what two people will get together? William is shipping Billy and Mrs. Wheeler. Yeah, I'm down for that one too. Mrs. Wheeler can do way better than her husband. Now I don't know I don't know if she should go to Billy, but I like that that pairing. I'm down with that one. If that happens, I think that would be awesome. But I'm shipping Joyce and Hopper. It just makes the most sense. They've set it up the most. They obviously had something in high school. And now they're um, they're together here. It just has to happen. I just think that makes the most sense. And then the heart-wrenching thing would be to take away Hopper from Joyce. Just add another dimension to her, her, her insanity to have to get over another um, traumatic event. Or you take Joyce away. One of those. Take take one of them out. Um, number three. Out of the main cast, who will die? Well, I don't know what William conceives as the main cast, but he put Mr. Clark. Mr. Clark has been in maybe five scenes. He's a good guy. I like him a lot. He's helped the kids here and there. But I wouldn't consider him main, but we'll go with that. Um, you can have Mr. Clark there, William. I could see him going. It'd be kind of sad. I'm going Hopper. I'm going big all the way to Jim Hopper. Like I said before, it makes most sense for the story. Uh, take him out in some kind of way. Actually, I was going to say like a heroic way, but it might be better if he is like some kind of evil incarnation, like something turned in him. Maybe he gets um, the virus from the mind flayer or something. Well, they have to take him out. They can't do a will bind him where they burn the, the virus out of him. They have to actually murder him to take him out, which kind of like the Terminator ending where you have to... Terminator 2, sorry. Terminator 2 ending where you have to kill the machine to save the world. I like the idea of killing Hopper to save the town for some reason. I don't know. Uh, number four, will we get our first F-bomb? Will we drop her an F-bomb? Will said no. I'm saying yeah. These kids are growing up. Time to drop an F-bomb, man. Let's do it. Number five. Name five songs that will be featured in the show. William went all Michael Jackson. He put Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, Human Nature, and Baby Be Mine. I have no idea what Human Nature is. I think I've heard Baby Be Mine. Yeah, Beat It. Probably be in there. Billie Jean. That's a good one. I don't know about Thriller. That's a little on the nose. I'm going with another on the news one. I'm going Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. It just makes sense for this show so that the Mind Flayer wants to take over Earth for reasons that we will probably never know because it doesn't really talk. Um, I'm also going Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me, Breakfast Club Classic, one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, just that hit. Hey, 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 oh yeah. Love it. It's got to be thrown in there somewhere. Maybe someone's leaving town. Maybe someone's leaving forever. I don't know. Get a cast member out of there. Don't you forget about me. Could be the last song in the season. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, I'm going Mr. Mr. Broken Wings. Take these broken wings. I don't know if they've already played it. I couldn't remember. Didn't feel like looking it up, but I'm going with that one. Then I got to get that sexy saxophone, man. George Michael, Careless Whisper. Got to be some kind of maybe when... Uh, Nancy's mom, Mrs. Wheeler, is thinking about Billy. Careless whispers in there. You can hear that dance floor music. That makes sense for her situation. And then the most obvious, I thought, would be Don Henley's Boys of Summer. Uh, I mean, he's got four boys. It's summertime, July 4th. The only time the show's been in the summer. I like that idea. It might be the opening shot, like running down a field or something. And that's the Boys of Summer comes on. 
Number six, will a human be the host for the Upside Down? If so, who? William simply put no. I think he did this in a hurry. He's on vacation. He didn't feel like elaborating. I'm putting yes. I'm going Hopper. I already explained why. Number seven, will another gifted child be introduced? If yes, what's the number and ability? Will put no again. I'm going number six. You know, the devil is six. Um... And I'm going to say they control your uh, actions. It's like a puppet. They make you into a puppet, and they can control your brain and do whatever you want. I think that would be a pretty cool ability. They can talk like you and do all this kind of stuff, which have you do it. Um, number eight, name five movies that will be referenced. William went with some that have already been referenced, so he's doubling up. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Terminator, Temple of Doom, and he put, what's the last one? I can't remember. Oh, Poltergeist. Yeah, so he thinks Ghost will be in here. I'm going back to the future. Fletch, Teen Wolf, say anything. Definitely say anything. I think someone's going to have like a, a breakup, and they're going to get him back by doing some kind of boombox routine. And then Christine. I think Stephen King's car movie will have a nod. I want to say Eleven will control a car at some point in the season and do something nefarious with that car. Number nine, will Mike's mom commit adultery? Well, kind of already spoiled this one. We both think yes. I think that would be great. Her, her husband sucks. He's just not fun. But what will probably happen is that the son or this whole situation that Billy might um, inspire the father to like actually take care of his wife more. That makes the most sense for this kind of story. But I like the, uh, the curveball. She actually uh, goes on with the adultery um number 10 will the mind flayer physically cross into their world william put no i put yes it's about time three seasons kind of like thanos you can't have him sit in the sidelines the whole time and just you know have all his minions do his work you got to bring the fight to them unless they're waiting to like season five or four whatever the next one or the last one to bring the, the actual mind flayer in and the last one, number 11, how many people slash creatures will 11 kill? We'll put zero. I guess she's going to be a pacifist this season. I'm going 11 just for you know cuteness sake. And that's it. That is the recap review thing for preview preparation for season three, which comes out Thursday, you know, day away um, tonight. I believe at midnight is when they'll start streaming, I hope, because I'm going to jump on it. And like I said, my plan is to do the eight episodes, like 20 minute, kind of like this, just really off the cuff, open-ended discussion with myself. And then Will and I will do a collaboration binge um, of the whole season and talk about that for God knows how long, hopefully under an hour. But we tend to ramble just like I did. I mean, 45 minutes right here. I'm there. I made it. All right. Thanks. Uh, see you soon. Peace. <laughs> Thank you.